Genesis chapter 11. Genesis is the book of beginnings, it's the book of origins. It's where we find the foundations of a biblical worldview. Everything we need to know about a biblical worldview is found in Genesis. Creation, man, marriage, non-human relationships, sin, the origin of suffering and toil, sweat, right? We see the weeds coming up from the ground because of sin. We see the promise of the gospel given in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman is going to destroy the serpent. We see the origins of civilizations, covenants. See, four covenants, at least uh, three or four covenants, depends on how you look at it, right? The covenant of Noah, the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant of works, and the covenant of grace promised. We see the origin, as our text today, we'll see the origin of different human languages and ethnic groups. But one thing that Genesis shows us is the wickedness of man. As our brother was praying about as we read in Romans 1, how sin has wholly infected him, so much that man begins to corrupt the graces and the gifts of God given to man. See that with Cain and Abel, right? Uh, how God says to Cain, sin is crouching at, your, at the door and his desire is for you. We see in Genesis chapter 6 of the flood, right? And how the, the, the intent of man was wickedness continually. And our text today will show, will show the, the wickedness of sin and infect, infects man. Infects his whole being, his mind, his hands, even his heart. So let's begin and read Genesis 11, 1 through 9. This is God's word. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. So come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. It's fascinating. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. As we just heard, it's, it's like silver refined um, through fire like seven times, Father. Father, would you give us ears to hear, hearts to um, conceive and understand, eyes to behold the glory hidden in your word. 
We want to be transformed. Uh, we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 So a little bit of background before we jump into our text. This is around 100 years after the flood. Um, chapter 10 is, is a genealogy of Noah's sons. If you read 10.1, now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the sons were born to them after the flood. In chapter 10, it, it is that. It's a genealogy. In chapter 11, verses 10 to 26, are particularly Shem's descendants. And we know that this is around 100 years after the flood because of uh, the name of a son, if you see in chapter 10, verse 25, it says, to Eber, that Eber is where we get the name Hebrew, to Eber were born two sons, the name of one was Peleg, for in his days, what does it say? The earth was divided. The earth was divided into these different people groups. And if you read chapter 10, that is what it, it, it describes. All the descendants of the sons of Noah and the people groups that came out of them. In fact, three times it says in chapter 10 that uh, they were separated into their lands. Verse, verse 5, for example, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. Verse 20 says, these were the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their languages, and their lands, and in their nations. And verse 31, these were the sons of Shem according to their families, according to their languages, their lands, their nations. And if, you're, uh, if somebody's reading this, you're, you're wondering, like, what's going on? What do you mean? I thought we were all one people, right? Uh, after the flood, what happened? And that's where we have the Tower of Babel, chapter 11. So really, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, is, are, is a parenthesis between 10 and um, um, 11. Right? It explains what happens. How did these nations, these languages come about? And so we enter into our text, chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. I've entitled this message, Divine Babel, B-A-B-B-L-E. Right? I play on words. Right? Um, a judgment from God. Divine Babel, a judgment from God. Um, so very simple outline, two points. Uh, verses 1 through 4, we see man's rebellion. Man's rebellion will corrupt the good graces of God. And from verses 5 through 9, we see uh, the judgment of God. God comes down to judge the people. It's a very simple outline. And it basically can be described as what man does and how God responds. Okay? And and you might be wondering, where where do I get that idea of man corrupting the good graces of God? I mean, it doesn't really say that in the text. But I think... Uh, this chapter, this, this portion of scripture, verses 1 through 9, is a perfect parallel verse and a perfect picture of Romans 1. We read in Romans 1, if you can turn there really quick, or you don't have to, I'll, I'll read it for you. It says, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So God is angry at the world. His wrath is upon the world. Why? Against unra- unrighteousness of men. Why? Because they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. How is that they suppress the truth? Verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. In other words, man sees creation, 
He sees all the good gifts that God has given them. And what happens? And though they knew God, they did not what? Glorify him, nor give him thanks. They know there's a God. They know he's worthy of worship. They know they are to give glory to him and thank him, but they don't. They do the opposite. They become futile or useless in their minds and their thoughts, and their foolish hearts become darkened, the word says. Verse 22, the professing to be wise, they become fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man. And that's what we see in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. This is what we see in the Tower of Babel. So, my point is, man rebels against God by corrupting his good gifts. And I see three things that, three graces from God in, in, in verses 1 through 4 that man corrupts. The grace of culture, the grace of cultivation, and the grace of calling. So I'll show you what I mean. Verses 1 and 2 says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, <coughs> Shinar and they, were, they dwelt there. Right? Um, so this idea of culture, where, where, where am I getting that from? Well, I think it's implied if we read uh, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 says, that the ESV says they had one language and same words. But the literal uh, language is they had one lip and one word or one speech. They had one vocabulary. They had a way of talking. They had a way of communicating. And it's not being redundant, right? But it is talking about they had the, the same jargon, right? You understand that word jargon, right? The same way of speaking, the same way of thinking. If we stop and think just for a minute, think of the grace of language and communication. How God has, he didn't make us to grunt and moan for things, right? To communicate. But he gave us, he made us intelligent. And he gave us the grace to to be able to express our feelings and express our ideas through language, intelligent language. Because we're made in in his image and he communicates to us intelligibly. It's a grace. It's a gift of God. Not just with our words, but body language and facial expressions and gestures. And even for the deaf and the mute, we have sign language. The wisdom that God has given to man, the ability to communicate. And he gives the ability to communicate. We are made to communicate to have community. And if I remember anything about college in my sociology class, is that language mirrors culture. It's inseparable. You can't have language without culture, and you can't have culture without language. What is a culture? The, the sum of total ways of living, including ideas, norms, customs, etc., built up by a group of human beings and transmitted from one generation to the other. It's the way we think. It's the way as a society we talk. Think of it this way. Imagine culture is like a highway or a freeway. And in order for you to have transportation on that freeway, you need a vehicle. But it's not enough to have a vehicle. You need to know how to use it. And not just knowing how to use it, but in the context of the city that you're in, the speed limits, the norms, the customs, right? You can't have 
Transportation without knowing how to drive in the appropriate context, the appropriate area. In the same way, you can't have true community, true culture, true communication without language and understanding how to use language. I'll give an example. I lived in India for a year as a a missionary. I wasn't in in a sound church, but I uh, I went there to be a missionary. And I promise you, if I were to put you in India and give you a car, you would be terrified. Right? Have you ever been to India? Have you ever been to a, a, a country where there's a billion people? Right? You'll see that the roads are just packed with cars. And first of all, the the the, the steering wheel is on the other side. Right? It's on the right hand side. So that w- alone would mess us up. Right? But just so many cars. Right? And and here in America, we we have this like. We, our individualism even comes out in our driving, right? We're just kind of racing with each other. Like, I need to get, get off my lane, right? Uh, but in India, it's not like that. Every, everybody kind of flows like water together. Like, we're stuck here, and we're all going to get to where we go together, right? And, and there's a lot of honking everywhere. Like, we're here in America. We use our honk to, like, get mad at people, right? Or if they're about to hit us or something. But in India, it's like a beep, beep. Like, it's everywhere because they use it as, like, I'm here, you know? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn right, beep, beep, you know, and they, and they turn right. It's very interesting because it's a different culture. It's a different way of driving. It's a different way of doing things. And for uh, when somebody wants to learn a language, right, what do they do? They go and live there. They go and learn the culture because it's not enough to say, hello, how are you, in, a, in another language. You have to know in what tone to say it, and, and, and how, formal or informal, right? You have to learn the culture. And that's what we see in our text. We see a culture developing here. We see a people gathered by one language and one speech. They have a certain skills. They have a way of building a tower with brick and mortar, right? They have a way of reasoning. Come, let us build. Come, let us do this together. They have a sense of unity. And, and, and that in itself is not bad. It's good. It's a grace of God. Cultures are good. God gave a culture to Israel. He gave customs to Israel of worship, of wardrobe. Don't, don't wear any mixed fabric, right? God gives Israel a culture of work. You shall work six days, and on the seventh you shall rest. He gives a, a culture of, of, of dietary customs. You shall eat these foods and not eat these foods. And the whole reason, if you read Leviticus, was that Israel would be separate They would have their own godly culture, separate from all the nations surrounding them. Cultures are good. He gives mankind a culture, right? The cultural mandate or the creational mandate in Genesis 1, right? Fill the earth, subdue it. He gives the church a culture of of work in in the Great Commission. Go and, and preach the gospel, making disciples, right? Different cultures from different nations I just described, right? Different people groups. Different households have cultures. You, you do certain things in your household that I might find strange, right? And that's okay. Churches have cultures. GBC has a culture. And it's all beautiful and good. And, and we should seek to build godly cultures in our homes, in our churches, in our communities. God-centered cultures 
are a grace of God because they build commonality. They build uh, unity between human beings, creating healthy societies. This is God's plan since the beginning. Now, the problem is, is how do cultures grow bad? How do they, they, they go uh, wayward? And it's clear when the, when the customs, the norms, the ideas of that culture don't glorify God. Right? And that's what we see in our text. We see a culture that gathered around itself, a grand man. Let us make a name for ourselves. Isn't that what we see today? Psalm 12, remember the, the, the man, the wicked in Psalm 12. He, I find it so interesting that it says that he uses his tongue, right? His, his words. It says, help, Lord, for the godly ceases. For the faithful disappear among the sons of men. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. Verse 4 says, they have said, with our tongue we will prevail. With our lips, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? That's what we see in our culture today, right? Man, a, a woman wanting to say, I, I, I'm able to kill my baby, and, and, and that's perfectly okay. That should be accepted in the culture. I'm able to change my, my gender if I want to. And with the, mayor, with the very mouth that God gives man to, to praise and thank him, they say, let us make a name for ourselves. Not God. Let, let us make a name for ourselves. We see God, uh, we see man taking this, this beautiful gift of language and culture and twisting it, distorting it. What else do we see? We see God, the, the grace of cultivation. The grace of cultivation. It says in verse 3, that they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. These people were not dumb. They were skilled people. They were intelligent people. God gave man wisdom and abilities to build great things. Adam was put in charge over the garden of God. He was to take care of it. And if you read Genesis carefully, he was to expand it all over the earth. Expanding the glory and image of God all over the earth through skills, through his his hands, through his toil in the garden. God told Adam and Eve to subdue the earth, take dominion over it, that, and, and that includes brick making and building, building towers and cities. It includes making music, art, writing. It includes programming and making leather goods. It includes making frozen yogurt. I wanted to shout out Mark Calabrese, right? It, that's what, it includes that. Cleaning your home, baking bread, teaching homeschool, gardening, changing your oil, painting a wall, cutting someone's hair, Pastor Steve, right? Preaching a sermon. All of these uh, things require a certain level of skill, God-given skill that is acquired over time. It is acquired through practice, right? And God has given us the ability to cultivate these skills and use them. Think of the grace of that, the grace of that. The fulfilling satisfaction of creating and building and cultivating. This was God's plan. It's interesting that uh, when Israel is exiled to Babylon in Jeremiah 29, everybody knows Jeremiah 29 of 
right, that verse, where I know the plans that I have for you, right? But if you read uh, uh, verse uh, 29, I mean, uh, the first verses of, of chapter 29 in Jeremiah, it's interesting that the people are, are extremely sad. They're disappointed. They've been exiled. They feel shame that they're in a pagan uh, land, right? They're, 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 it says that their, their sons have been taken away. They're, probably their husbands have been murdered, right? And what does God say? He says, this is what I want you guys to do in Babylon. Build gardens, right? Have babies, right? Take, take dominion. Take the skills that God has given you and, and do something with it. Build gardens. Make families. We see the same thing in Thessalonians where Paul says, work with your hands and live peaceful lives. Seek to live peaceful lives, Right? Sometimes I feel we don't talk enough about the, the material world, and especially in the Reformed community, but, uh, because we're, we're, we can be so spiritually driven, right? It's all about my relationship with Jesus, right? And anything outside of that, the material world doesn't really matter. But the cultural mandate to take dominion, to subdue the earth, is still relevant today. We still have it. We are to balance, have a, a balance of spirituality and um, the material world. The material world is good. God has given you hands to use them. And we should all be seeking to gain skills and, and knowledge, especially our children and our youth. I, 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 I'm thankful um, that I see my boys, right? And, and they're so eager to learn. They're so eager to, eager to learn skills. They, they want to help me with everything, right? Whether it's, you know, uh, you know watering uh, our blackberry bush or our lemon tree, right? Or they want to come to work with me. They, they want, they're just so you know, hungry to learn skills. And I pray they never lose that. I'm thankful for my father that always wanted to give something to us, skills, uh, knowledge to, to, to me and my, my siblings. Right? And I saw when they paid off. Right? When I met Leslie, I remember we were friends, and um, she, she, had a, she got a flat tire one day, right? And um, I just saw the opportunity, you know, like my dad taught me how to change a tire, right? And I changed the tire, and it was clear, like she was like, oh, my gosh, my hero, right? <laughs> and I come home that night, and like at 1 in the morning, and my dad is awake, and I just remember hugging him. And I said, I was already in love with, with Leslie, right? And, and I said, Dad, thank you. Thank you for teaching me how to change a tire, Right? I just felt like I get it now. Like, what, what my dad has been, he's not trying to bug me, trying to teach me all this. No, he's trying to make me into a man. Trying to pass on skills that will actually benefit me and one day will help me get a woman, which it did. <laughs> and I praise God for that. And we should seek to gain productive skills. Productive skills. What, what do I mean by that? Well, there's skills that aren't really productive, like video games, Right? You might be skilled in, in a certain video game, but, you know, and might get to the top level and you're there for hours and hours and hours, but your room is a mess, right? Uh, you, you're failing in everything else in, in real life, right? We can even do that in theology, like right? this theological eggheadery, I, I call it, right? Where we, we just consume, consume all this theology and not, but it doesn't actually do anything in our lives. Don't be a theological egghead, right? This is a grace, but it's a grace when we do it for God's glory. 
What has God, God called you to? And are you doing that thing for God's glory? Whether you eat, drink, sleep, what does the scripture say? Do it all for what? The glory of God. There's a story of tourists, and he goes to a, a, a town that he's not familiar with, right? And he sees this building. I've shared this story to our community group in Spanish. But, um, and he enters the building just wondering, the curiosity. And he sees bricklayers. So he goes to the first bricklayer and he says, Excuse me, sir, I'm not from here. What, what are you building? Bricklayer, angry face. What, what, what do you want? And, you know, I just lay bricks. I don't know what I'm building. Right? So leave me alone. All right. The tourist just goes on to the next bricklayer. And the, the next bricklayer, he's like excited. He's like setting up the bricks in his little pile, right? He's, and, and, and he's like, excuse me, sir, what, 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 are you, what are you building, right? And he says, I know everything about bricks, right? I, I, I'm a professional in bricks. I, I know the perfect way to lay a brick and the perfect way to lay the mortar and so that it, it will never fall, right? And so he asks, okay, that's great, but what are you building? He's like, oh, I'm not sure because I've actually never laid an actual brick. You know, I just know how to do it. I'm an expert in theory, right, but not in practice. Okay, still don't know what, what you're building here, right? So he goes to the last brick layer, and, and he says, sir, good sir, please tell me, what are you building? And, you, and this brick layer, right, he, he's taking a break from his unfinished masterpiece of of the brick wall, right? And he turns to him with, the, with the, a shining countenance and he says, sir, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God, right? And, and, and the perspective, right? But wherever God is, it has you, you are to do it for the glory of God. You might be particularly gifted in an area. You might be intelligent in um, probably more than others. You might have a higher IQ, but if you don't do it for the glory of God, it will not satisfy you, and you will do it for nothing. Right? And in our text, we see the opposite of, of this idea of doing it for the glory of God. It says, for our name will build this tower. Think of all the time, the skill, the energy wasted on that tower because it was never finished. It wasn't meant built for God's glory. We see the same with Cain in Genesis chapter 4 when, 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 when God kind of sends him out to the wilderness, right? It says that he had sons, his sons had sons, and his sons were very skilled. It says in Genesis chapter 4 verse 20, and Ada bore Jabal, his, um, Cain's descendants. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. See, animal husbandry there. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute, made music. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. These were skilled men. These were skilled people. But they did it all in vain. They didn't do it for the glory of God. Cultivation, the, the, the ability to create, the ability to build is a grace of God. And we see the people here getting that gift and trying to build, not for the glory of God, but for themselves. It's a shame to see. Wasted talent, wasted effort. So we see man takes this culture, 
this language that God has given him distorted. God, man takes this, the, the gifts of cultivation, of building and creating, of creating and distorts it, corrupts it. And lastly, we see in verse 4, uh, they take the calling of God and they corrupt that. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. God had given them clear instructions. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, fill the earth, subdue it, go, right? If you just go back one page in Genesis um, chapter 9, he says to Noah, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and what? Fill the earth. Fill the earth. Don't stay in this this hub, go, go, ex- expand my, my image, my glory. Fill the earth with godly seed. That in itself is a grace. Oh, God doesn't leave us as wondering what to do with our lives. He gives us clear instructions. He gives us his word. We don't have to wander through the world trying to find out what, what we are to do with our lives. We know First, uh, 2 Peter 1 says, He gives us everything that we need that pertains to what? Life and godliness. The psalmist in 119 says, Do not hide your commandments from me, right? See how kind God is that we would create, um, that He would create man and be willing to guide him in everything. God wants to guide us. He wants, he, he gives us instructions on what to do with our lives, with our, with our human relationships, even with our church, right? He gives us clear instructions on how to worship God and what pleases him. That's a grace of God. See how kind God is. Ezekiel 36, it talks about how he will give the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he, what, what does it say? So he's going to give us a new heart, give us a spirit, so that we may want to do his statutes. We may want to fulfill his commandments. That's a grace of God. The specific instruction was to fill the world with image bearers for my glory. But they said, let us build a tower for make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered. We don't want to scatter. We don't want to obey God. Not only that, but think of the calling in general of man. What is the chief end of man? Somebody answer. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. This tower built was probably a a, a place of pagan worship, right? It's very interesting. In fact, uh, in this area, which would be later called Babylon, right? In the surrounding um, ruins, we see towers that are all the same. They're called ziggurats. And they're a base, like a square rectangle base. And on top of that base, there's a smaller rectangle base. And, and it just keeps going like that, like a pyramid. And we see that these places were places of worship, places of pagan worship, of idolatry. Right? And in the, in the, in the scriptures, Babylon is represented as a place of prostitution to other gods. Right? Um, and, and, and we see also evidence for this is real history. This is not a myth. This is not an analogy, right? For we see that when God scatters them, they probably took that same blueprint of building a tower, and we see ziggurats all over the world, all these type of towers all over the world. 
And we even have legends of all these different people groups that said uh, they have um, fables and, and kind of legends of all, sim- uh, all similar to the Tower of Babel. Man built a tower and God judged them and God confused their languages and they spread throughout the world. But we have them in, from Mexico to Africa to Asia, which is pretty amazing. But they, what they were trying to do is exalt themselves. Instead of glorifying God, instead of exalting God as the one true living God, the one worthy of all worship, adoration, and obedience, they said, let us make a name for ourselves and stay here. We don't want to be scattered. They corrupted their highest calling to glorify God, the incorruptible. They exchanged it for the corruptible exaltation of man. We see this pattern throughout history, even in our own lives. Every time we sin, we are saying that, I'm going to make a name for myself. I want to be God of my life. Remember, uh, we have to understand that this mindset is satanic. It's satanic. Wasn't it Satan that wanted to make a name for himself in heaven? And when we act that way, we're really acting like our greatest enemy, Satan. Wasn't it Jesus that said to Peter, get behind me, Satan? Why? For you are not concerned with the things of God, but of man. The snare of seeking the glory of man. What what does the psalmist say? Not unto us, O Lord, but unto your name be the glory. Be the glory. We're called to glorify God. So, man, we see. We see man corrupting the grace of God. God provides everything, right? Even after the flood, God says, build, fill the earth, do this, and you'll be blessed. But what does man do? Corrupts all these graces. So, second half is, we see verses 5 through 9, God comes down to judge people. Verse 5, it says, the Lord came down. It's funny, right? They're trying to ascend to heaven to exalt themselves, but it says God has to come down, and he punishes them and humbles them. And three things that I see that God does quickly, he says, uh, he considers, he confuses, and he crumbles um, God's man's plans he considers verses five through six but the lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built and the lord said indeed the people are one and they all have one language and this is what they begin to do now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them um in psalm eleven four, it says the lord is in his holy temple The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. God considers the heart of man. And just like in Genesis 6, remember what it says, Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God discerns the heart of man. He considers the heart of man. And he says, here we go again. Romans 1, here we go again. Psalm 10, verse 4 says, describing the wicked, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Verse 13, he says in his heart, you will not require an account. God will not require an account of me, of of what I do here on earth. God discerns the heart of man. 
And, and, and God has every right to destroy the people right there with another flood. But because of his covenant with Noah, he does not. And so he decides to confuse them. He's going to confuse them. I, I see the irony here and, and the kind of comical nature of this because the, what are the people saying they, when they gather together? They say, come let us make bricks. Come let us build a tower. And then we see in, in verse 7, what does God say? Oh, come let us, <laughs> right? No, no, come, come let us go down and there confuse their language. God humbles man. He opposes the pride, the proud, but gives grace to what? The humble. Come let us, and let us confuse their language. Remember, you see in Psalm 2, right? The nations rage against God. What does it say? He who sits in the heavens, what? He laughs. He scoffs at them. Like, come on, are you kidding me? You're trying to come get a tower so high that you can reach the heavens? arrogance of man the arrogance of man here we see the power of god it's it's nothing for him right he can confuse and change the languages just like that sovereignty of god isaiah 45 7 says i form the light and create darkness i make peace and create calamity i the lord do all these things imagine the chaos right The, the utter chaos that this would have caused Oh, you're building, and you're like, pass me that brick. And you're like, what? Pass me the brick. I can't understand, right? And, and all to find out, to like, you're freaking out, and you just go home, and only your family can understand you. It's, imagine the UN without translators, right? It's just like chaos. Like, what is going on? This is how we have all kinds of languages today, and people groups as well. There's over, over 7,000 spoken languages today. It's a lot, right? And, but experts say that there's only around like 100 mother tongues, right? All these 7,000 have come from these mother tongues. And if you, it's very interesting that in Genesis chapter 10, if you count the people groups, there's 78 people groups with 78 different languages. It's pretty close to 100. And we see these uh, dialects and, and um, even English, how it's evolved into what we have now. If you, if you read um, Old English, like you would be able to read at all or understand any of it. Probably the ands and the wases, that's it. Very interesting. This is proof that this is history. But it's chaos. The very thing that united the people, the language, the culture, their skills, um, God takes away, showing how fragile the glory of man is. In Romans 1, it talks about how God turns man over. He turns him over to a depraved mind, to a debased mind. So, man, so much that man will actually just act upon his passions. Here we see like an active judgment of God where he actually goes and actively confuses them. But in Romans 1, it's more of a passive thing. He just kind of lets them Okay, you want to sin? Okay, I'm just going to turn, turn you over. I'm just going to let you. And we see the same today, just this, how wicked our culture has become. Those that want to murder their own children, and, and they boast about it. They boast about mutilating their, their bodies because, uh, because they were born with the wrong sex. 
And sometimes we see God just kind of letting cultures just, just okay, you want to do that? All right, I'm just going to let you and let that be your judgment, right? See the, the, the AIDS epidemic. Just see that, that, that judgment of God, right, to the homosexual community. I was reading a, a, a Twitter feed of a man who well, calls himself a woman, right, or called himself. We pray for his repentance. Um, but he was saying that he actually went through the, process, the surgery of, you know, you know, the surgery, right, of removing um, his genitalia, his male genitalia. And he talks about the things that the doctors didn't tell him. Talks about it takes 30 minutes for him to uh, go to the bathroom because the pain is unbearable. How he has, everything is numb around that area. How, it's just, and he sees like, this is a judgment of God. Just for you to, God will just turn you over to those things and let that be your judgment. Right? But here we see God actively confusing their languages. We see, uh, and, and apart from God's grace, brothers, we're the same. Right? It's, it's interesting that um, Romans 12 says that he, uh, our minds need to be renewed, right? And 1 Corinthians says that we, we receive the mind of Christ. And those that turn to Christ, those that uh, will believe in him, he'll take that debased mind and he'll give us a new one. You can turn from your sin. You can turn from those wicked passions that you once had. And in Christ, find a new mind. So, Lastly, he crumbles the plans of man. So he considers the heart of man. He, um, um, what was that last one? He, excuse me, I got my own notes. He confuses uh, man with languages. And lastly, he crumbles the plans of man. Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them. He scattered them. The very thing that they didn't want, God does. The Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Wow. They wanted to avoid being scattered. Uh, And man was scattered over the face of the earth, just like that. God accomplishes his will. He accomplishes what he wants with man. It's interesting that verse 9 says, Therefore, its name is called Babel, which means confusion. The play on words. Right? And even in English, it means confusion. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, you can take this literally, or you can take this, God literally relocated them somehow, miraculously. God can do anything he wants uh, throughout the whole world. Or it was because of this confusion that man naturally decided, well, we have to part our ways. We can't live together. But either way, God accomplishes his plan, right? God brought disunity, right? He brought disunity. He divided the world into these different people groups and languages. But to end with this, God brought disunity, but he unites all things in Christ. We read Genesis 12, verse 3, the promise given to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How in Abraham, which is a type of Christ, all the families of the earth, all the nations, all the tongues, I will bless them, and one day unite them 
We see in Acts chapter 2 how this curse of different languages is kind of reversed in God giving the ability to, to the apostles to speak different languages to spread the gospel. And we see it kind of like a reverse, like an anti-curse. And in verse 7, verse 9, I'll end with this. Revelation um, 7, verse 9. You already know where I'm going. After these things I looked, and behold, the great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God will reconcile all things to himself, even the different tongues, the different ethnic groups of the world. We, we are like the people of Genesis, apart from the grace of God. Right? We will corrupt the, the good graces of God. We will try to exalt ourselves. And apart from the grace, brothers, we too are like those in Romans 1. We need to understand that. But God is able to redeem. doesn't matter how sinful you are. doesn't matter what you have done. God, in his great grace, is willing to forgive. He's willing to transform. And he's willing to give a new heart, a new mind with new desires that you might, instead of glorifying yourself and give, and, and, and building towers and cities for yourself, you might say, glory to God. I build for his glory and not my own. What a gracious God we have. If you're here outside of Christ, you, you need to understand that you were made for this. You were made to glorify God. And the longer you withhold that, especially if you hear my voice today and you know you're a sinner, you know you've sinned against God, you know you rebelled against Him, but yet you harden your heart, there's only judgment for you. But unless you repent, unless you see, open your eyes to see the glory of Christ, no, He really is worthy. Of all my efforts. He really is worthy of all the skills he has given me. He's really, he really is worthy to build godly culture for. You need to repent and trust in him. King Jesus died on the cross, forgave sinners that we might be able to know him and fulfill our true calling to glorify God. You can glorify God in what you do. Before, all our righteous acts were what? What does I say? I say, filthy rack. But now in Christ, now in Christ, we can actually please him in every way, Colossians 1 says. You can please God. So, um, let, 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 let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God. You've been so patient and so kind. As it says in Romans 1, that those that understood that you are a God who punishes sin, yet they, in, they commit sin and encourage others to do so. Apart from the grace of God, we too, Lord. We too. The Lord in Christ, you unite all things. You redeem. You redeem, Father, and we pray, Lord. I pray, Father, you would redeem the unbelieving one today. Father, give him a new heart. Give him eyes to see the glory of Christ. 
And Father, I pray for our culture, Lord, that you redeem our culture. We pray for your grace, Lord. If it be in your perfect will to forgive and to transform hearts, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would do your, have your way and do your will in our lives and in our communities, in our households. In Jesus' name, amen.